Man, how do you follow that? <laughs> My last church was founded in the mid-1950s, and when I arrived in 2009, there were stu still a few founding members actively attending. While they were in transition between my predecessor and I, the congregation had built a library named for a founding member who had passed away. When we blessed it, her son came. He was a kid when they were building the sanctuary, and he said parishioners came on Wednesday nights after work, shared a potluck dinner, and then laid the bricks one at a time together as a community. One of the matriarchs had lost her husband about a year before I was called there. She was one of those lovely, amazing, put-together women, 80 and fabulous, always dressed nicely with her hair and makeup on point. We all knew that she must be grieving for her husband of more than 50 years, but I'm not sure it showed. One day as she left church, I turned to shake her hand and was astonished. Same sharp hair, same sharp, stylish clothes, and a complete transformation. Lo, Lois, you, you look, something has changed, I stammered. She smiled and gushed, I'm in love. And she shook my hand and pulled me in, holding my arm so that I couldn't help but physically share her excitement. That church, St. Edward's, had been the Church of the Transfiguration at the beginning. No one really knew which Edward it was named for. There are two Edwards on our calendar. One is a French guy and one is an English one. We assumed it was named for the English one, Edward the Confessor, who is the confessor because he was not martyred like his uncle, Edward the Martyr. No one, I asked, knew why the name had changed to St. Edward's, but one woman said, I don't know, I guess they felt like the transfiguration was too weird and hard to understand. If the people of Silverton didn't quite know what to say about the transfiguration, they weren't alone. Jesus and his friends go up the mountain seeking a quiet space away from the crowds to meditate and reconnect with God. Peter, James, and John are a bit sleepy, trying to stay awake to pray, when all of a sudden Jesus' face changes and his clothes become a dazzling white, and the generations past prophets, Moses and Elijah, talk with Jesus about what he was among us to do. The disciples have no idea what to do or say, so Peter offers this strange idea, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What? He's so awestruck that he goes immediately to construction. But before anyone can question or tease him about it, which I totally would have, a cloud descends on them. It is dark and the air has changed. I imagine something like the minute or so during the solar eclipse in 2017, when the sun went behind the moon and suddenly that hot August day was dark and chilly and strange. The disciples are terrified from the cloud comes a voice that says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Then they are alone with Jesus again, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. They are so rattled that they don't talk about this for a while, and the next day they come down from the mountain changed forever. The Oxford Dictionary defines transfigured as transformed into something more beautiful or elevated. 
In Moses' time, when he comes down from the mountain, they reported that his face was shining so much that he had to wear a veil for the rest of his life. And I imagine the disciples this way as well. Something has changed, transformed into something more beautiful or elevated. And even if they don't talk about it, people will know. Has this happened to you? The thing that was so big that it showed, falling in love, getting a new job, moving, becoming a parent, finding the right whatever that changed everything, your physical, physical appearance, your priorities, your life's mission? When was the last time that the clouds of doubt and anguish and sorrow swept in and you were rescued by the piercing light of God calling you to the next chapter? Is never the answer? It is for some of us. The transfiguration is literally and figuratively a mountaintop moment, the once-in-a-lifetime transformation that changes everything. It is a fulcrum for Jesus' ministry. This marks the beginning of the end of his earthly life. When I imagine mountaintop moments, I want them to be breathless and thrilling. I don't know why, but the images that pop into my head for this are all 80s television commercials. <laughs> Apparently, exhilaration tested well back then. The first one is Irish Springs, a bar soap that is so refreshing it's like standing under a waterfall. Or alternatively, the skier in the overstuffed snowsuit with the big poofy hair talking about how spearmint gum makes her feel like she's skiing on a mountain. So one of those with some life-altering, sky-splitting cloud walk with God tossed in. You know, some kind of deeply spiritual Mentos commercial. <laughs> but this time for Jesus, when he is met by the saints, they are telling him and his disciples that he's on the right track and that it is about to get hard. Have you had those moments? The times of clarity when you knew things had to change and that it was going to be hard. The relationship that needed to end, the career that wasn't right or right anymore, the painful adjustment to the reality that a long hoped for dream would not come to fruition. Hard to call those ones mountaintop moments, right? Often these periods feel more dark cloud than Irish spring. The disciples' mountaintop moment when they were cloud walking with God may have been many things, but it most certainly and specifically was terrifying. So if we frame these breathless moments as encounters with God, even when, or especially when, they are scary, the truth in them can be reassuring. For me, this is usually found in hindsight I thought it was right at the time, and a year later, I'm sure. Elijah and Moses come to remind and reassure Jesus, it's about to get hard. You are on the right track. Keep going. And then the Spirit blows in to tell the disciples, listen, he's the one. In a few moments, we as a community will initiate the newest members of the kingdom through baptism, while we remember the promises we made or that were made on our behalf. Sersha and Evander will probably not remember their baptisms, except through the stories that you tell about this day and this place, about the people here, 
The community will commit to helping Sertia and Evander grow into the full stature of Christ, a lifelong promise to help them grow as we do ourselves. Jesus is transfigured by love and purpose, and the disciples are transfigured by witness and joy. Sertia and Evander will be transfigured in baptism by love and purpose, and we are transfigured through witness and joy. How will that transfiguration look in you? What would it take for each of us to exit this building so thoroughly changed by our connection with God that we glow with purpose and love? You magnified, you pulsing with the love of God. Lizzo sings, if I'm shining, everybody gonna shine. Lois shined and glowed and beamed, and it was impossible to not smile around that. A few months after that day, I married Lois to her sweetheart. They didn't waste a lot of time. I imagine at 80, you know when you know. <laughs> but only fairy tales end at the wedding. They have now had 12 years to live through all the complicated ups and downs of relationship, marriage, and partnership belly laughs and trips to the grocery store, illnesses and generations of family, and the etc. that only the two of them know. They were transfigured by love in the church that was once the Church of the Transfiguration. And those people in the 1950s gathering over potluck dinners, they were transfigured too. A community of worshipers and believers together more beautiful or elevated as the body of Christ, forming and affirming the wonder of creation through their ministry together. This is where Peter, who would become the rock of the church, first thought to go, to build dwellings for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. But Jesus showed them and us that worshiping and following God is mobile and tactile, it is out in the world with people in all our messiness and neediness, in our laughing and crying and in all those fulcrum moments when life changes forever. That's where we worship. Out, in, with, for each other. The mountain was a place to pray, but not a place to stay. The story of transfiguration begins with prayer. It means stepping away and staying awake, asking and giving the spirit time to answer. Sometimes it will be puzzling or even scary. Many of the greatest things in life are. But with God's help, we will be transformed into a people more beautiful or elevated and fortified for the challenges ahead. Doing Christianity Christianity as a verb is about embodying God's love in the world, giving, receiving, being love, taking friends and neighbors and strangers by the hand and rattling them with the love that is bubbling out of your body. Doing Christianity is transfiguring, transforming into something more beautiful or elevated because we are transfigured with Christ.